Well, one of the challenges we talked about last week through this series was to make time for one another uh, with, in regards to your family. And regardless of what your family dynamic is, the context of your family, some of the challenges were everything from praying together, reading some of the Bible together, but also having dinner together. And my family and I, we try to make this a big deal in our home. Like, we love family dinners. Anything that we can do to just hit the pause button, hang out together. If we can make dinner as a family, even better. And so what I brought is uh, some groceries. And in this grocery grocery bag is everything we need for our favorite family dinner. This is our make your own pizza bag. So my family and I, we do this a ton. Our kids get to be part of it. They get on a little chair and eat half the pepperonis and then put some of the pepperonis on, eat all the cheese, and there's none left to actually put on there. But in here's the, the pizza crust, the pepperonis, there's onions, peppers, pizza sauce, cheese, mushrooms, everything that you would need to make a homemade pizza to have a family dinner, including the instructions. You've got the ingredients, you've got the instructions, but there are, are two things missing. Two things that are missing that in order to make this go from a bag of groceries to an actual family dinner, you're missing the people, the family, and you're also missing time. And as I was thinking about our time with, with my family, with Becky and then our two kids, man, often we just have groceries that kind of sit and like, we never made the time to make that dinner. We never got everybody together. And what I notice in families as I, as I observe, as I pastor and, and coach other families and individuals is we've got everything that we need. We've got the instructions. We've got all the ingredients. We lack the people in the same place and the time to actually do what we said we ought to do. We're missing the people and we miss the time. And it's understandable because we all get busy. We say things like, well, once, once some time frees up, then we can. Once we get through this crazy season, then we will. And I'm telling you, if we wait for the right time, if we just wait for space to automatically and magically open up, it's not gonna happen. And so as we look through the 10 commandments this morning, we're gonna look at the fourth one here in just a moment. What I wanna suggest is that we, instead of waiting for time and waiting and looking for space, that we actually make the time and we actually create the space. That's what we have to do. Instead of just waiting for it to happen, we have to actually make the time to be together and create the space in which we would be together. So to help you with that, or to help one of you with that, look on your worship guides that you got when you came in. Hopefully we've got one of you in here. On the very back should say pizza, real big. Anybody have a worship guide that on the back says pizza? Do you have the pizza one? Oh, who's, oh right here, I see you. You get my groceries today. So my family doesn't eat. No, I'm just kidding. No. So here, who was it? I, I saw the hand. Oh, right here. So you, you get the bag of pizza. So you and your family get to make some pizza today. There you go. Now, I will tell you, the cheese that's in there has been in a cooler, so it's not been sitting out since I got to church today. But I would get it in the fridge as soon as you get home. So she's got everything she needs to make a pizza, to have a family dinner. There's two things that is going to be on them, though. What's the first one? The people, you gotta get your family, say, hey, you know what? We are going to have a family dinner tonight and the second one is gonna take some, take some time. So let's see if you remember this. Let's recap before we jump into the fourth commandment. The first one, if you were here last week, you were supposed to memorize these three. You only have one to memorize this week unless you're catching up. All right, first commandment is no other gods. No other gods, excellent. The second one is Yes, yes, and you remember, the, that was great. Make, do not make. We made a big deal about that, anything man-made. Do not make idols. Number three. Yes, somebody did their homework. 
do not misuse God's name. And number four, here we go, let's look at it. Jump into Exodus, I'll put them on the screen for you as well. Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 8. Uh, verse 1 through 7 basically says, hey, here are the instructions, which is what we have. We have everything we need. We have the instructions. We've got the ingredients. Now we just have to take the time and get the people on board. Verse 8, here's the fourth commandment. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So, number four, we have our four commandments. We're, we're walking through the Ten Commandments, applying them to our family. The fourth one is keep the Sabbath day. And what was that big word there? Holy. Holy. Keep the Sabbath day. Remember, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, holy, this word even uses the language here. It says, and set it apart. That's what holiness means. Holy means to set apart, to dedicate. And often we just think it's like a super spiritual word. It literally just means it's going to be different than everything else. So what God is saying here through the fourth commandment is you've got seven days in a week. Six of them you're going to do your ordinary work, but one of them is going to look very different. You have six days to get all that stuff done, but that seventh day needs to be set apart. It's not going to be like the other six. Set it apart. Remember and keep the Sabbath day. Make sure that it's holy. That seventh day should not feel and look and be like all the other six. Now, what I want you to pay attention to, especially as we see these first four, all four of these commandments point back to our duty to God. It's our duty to make sure that God has the central place in our life and in our family's life. It's up to us to say, I'm gonna trust God over anything and anyone else. I'm not gonna make idols. That's a, a responsibility on my part. Don't misuse the name of God. Make sure that God's name still holds that special, unique meaning, that he knows our name. We know his name. That's on us. Keep the Sabbath day holy. That's on us. Everything is about us and our duty to God. As we go through the rest of these, we're going to see that it deals with us and our neighbor, us and our family, those horizontal relationships. But one through four is all about us and God. Us and God. And the Sabbath day is holy. We must set it apart. Now, I've had some people say, well, is this the commandment that says you must go to church? No. Keep the Sabbath day holy is not the go to church commandment. There's not one of those. We kind of associate, well, I kept the Sabbath because I went to church. Great job for going to church, and yes, we should, but that's not what God is saying here. What God is really getting at, the point of the fourth commandment of keep the Sabbath day holy has everything to do with rhythms. It's all about patterns. It's about are we keeping the right rhythm? Are we aligning our schedule to God's? The rhythm that God has, do we match up to it, or are we doing our own thing? And even here in the scriptures, he explained why he did it this way. He said, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in him. On the seventh day he rested. In other words, you do that too. God's saying, here's my schedule. You match up to me. Here's how I function. I want you to align your patterns and your rhythms to mine. That's what God's saying. This is an alignment issue where we align our time and our schedule to that of God's. 
Now, something I've been guilty of saying, and you probably said it too, is I work to have a balanced life. You ever said that? Man, it's just, um, it's difficult balancing everything. It's difficult to balance life. I feel off balance. This week has just got everything out of balance. We'll say things like that. And we work really hard to try to keep things in balance. Here's the hard part with, with balance. You'll never achieve it, ever. Life is constantly changing. There's different elements that you're dealing with. There's different seasons that you come in and out of. And balance says it's even. Balance says I work this much, so then I've got to make sure that I do this this much and spend time with my family and rest this much. And then, oh, well, this happened this week, so then I've got to make sure that this happens next week. And we get into this balancing act where we can never win. And can you imagine trying to balance all week? I mean, if, you, if I made you literally balance on one foot all week, you would be absolutely exhausted and had one ginormous calf muscle. That's what your life would look like. It would be painful. It would be exhausting. But so many of us just say, I just got to keep things in balance. And every time something gets added, well, we got to compensate. We got to balance it out, try to even it out. This is a, an exhausting way to go through your week and your schedule is balancing. The other option is to have a, a rhythm. Do this with me. Ready? Come on, you're not too cool for this. Now this, this I could do. This I can multitask with. This we could walk around. We could go through the rest of our day. Now some of you that aren't very good at rhythm are going to kind of maybe get off here and there. But this is very easy. This doesn't take a ton of effort. And the more we do this, the more it becomes even ingrained. The more it becomes a little, maybe I say natural, like, oh, wait, I don't have to. Some of you really have to do think about this. The rest of us, man, this becomes second nature to us. We could do this all day long, right? You don't have to do it all day long. You can stop there. But do you see the difference? The difference between balancing and trying to make sure that everything's 50-50 is exhausting and you just can't do it. Patterns, on the other hand, and rhythms, on the other hand, if we stick with them, they become second nature. And what God's saying, I don't want you to balance life. No, and what he gives us in scripture is actually not balanced at all. Six days we work, one day we rest. That's not balanced. That's not 50-50. What it is is a rhythm. It's a pattern where, okay, I'm working six days. I'm working hard. I'm giving it my all, and then I'm going to have this pattern and this rhythm of rest. So he's saying line your patterns, your rhythms up with me. That's what the fourth commandment's all about. Now, for the Israelites, when they received these from Moses, they got all these ten commandments, they viewed this commandment in two ways. The first one was as a gift. Because understand, in those days, no other nation, no other culture, no other people group other than the Israelites took a Sabbath day. They just worked seven days a week, every day, every year for the rest of their life. That's just what they did. It was in the culture. And that's what the Israelites used to do until God gave them this commandment and said, no, I, I want you to be different. I want you to only work six days. So it was a gift. Like, wow, this is great. Everybody else is working seven days a week, and God's given us a gift of the Sabbath where we get to rest. Now, there's another side to that, though. Yes, the Sabbath is a gift, but on the other hand, you got to trust God quite a bit. Because even though the rest of the, the surrounding nations for the Israelites, they worked seven days a week, they didn't get any rest. But what that meant was while the Israelites were resting on the Sabbath, the surrounding nations were spending that seventh day building up their cities and training their soldiers and making weapons harvesting crops. And so they felt like maybe we're at a disadvantage because we take a Sabbath day. Everybody else is working hard and getting things done and moving forward, and we're just resting. So God had to make it a commandment so that they wouldn't jump the gun and get ahead of God. He says, no, trust me. 
I can do more with my six than your seven. So I created the entire world in six days. I think you'll be okay with your to-do list. <laughs> but that's what we, we struggle with. It's a gift that we want to embrace. And God, thanks for caring about us enough and to, to have us rest. But God, I don't, know, I don't know if I can trust you with all my seven days. I don't know if I can give up that one day. It, it's definitely a gift, but it most certainly requires trust. And when we struggle with the trust factor, our rhythms start to get off. And our rhythm starts to beat to our own drum versus the rhythms that God has given us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go backwards, two chapters. We're still going to look at Moses, uh, but I want you to see how he did this wrong. Technically, it was before he got the Ten Commandments, so we'll give him a little bit of credit here. But I want you to see the problem he had with the Fourth Commandment. So as we read through this account, I want you to pay attention to two things. One, the problems that Moses faced. Even though we're going to be in a little bit of a different context, you and me, we're going to be able to relate to Moses because the problems that he's going to face are the same problems. The excuses he's going to give are the same excuses I've given. So notice the problems Moses is facing, but I also want you to start to see some of the solutions and how those solutions came to be. So here we go, Exodus 18, two chapters back. Exodus 18, starting in verse 1, Moses has already led the Israelites out of Egypt. It was an incredible story of Pharaoh, the Red Sea, you know the whole deal. Now they're in the wilderness wandering around, and here's what, he see, what we see happen next. Verse 1 out of Exodus 18, Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. That's all great. Verse 2, earlier, Moses had sent his wife Zipporah and his two sons back to Jethro, who had taken them in. Now, this would have been a very wise and noble thing of Moses to do. He's, he's taking care of his family. He cares about the health and safety of his family. He got the call from God through the burning bush to go and face Pharaoh and to rescue God's people out of Egypt. And he's thinking, that's no place for my family. So he sent his family, his wife and his two kids, to stay at her parents' house, to stay with his father-in-law Jethro. And I could imagine that he would say, you go stay with them. You'll be safer there. As soon as I'm done beating up on Pharaoh, I'll come out and I'll send for you and I'll take care of you. Let me get through this because it's not safe. And then I'll send for you and then we can be united again. That comes from a great place. That, that's a great heart. That's a great motivation. That's great rationale and reasoning for why you would send your family someplace else. Now, here's the only problem, though, as we're going to see, is he never sends for them. They've already defeated Pharaoh. They're out of Egypt. And what we see is, is husbands especially, we always have the, the, the great intentions, but time and time again, what happens is there's always something else. We talked about that last week. Moses is like, well, let me, let me go talk to Pharaoh first. See how it goes. Well, let me, let me get through this Egypt thing. Well, let's get through the wilderness thing first. I'll eventually get to you. And over time, what Moses has unintentionally done is sidelined his family. It's just not yet. We're, I'm not ready yet. Give me just a little bit. We're not ready for you yet. Unintentionally, he's pushed his family away. Started with great motives, though. And man, we can be very guilty of that. We can find ourselves in that. Man, I've got great motives and great, intention, great intentions. And if we can just get through this next season, let me just work a little harder. Once that promotion hits, once we get this taken care of, then I'll be able to slow down and spend some time with my family. But over time, there's always something else. So here's what happens. Moses hasn't called for his family yet. They're out of Egypt. Here we go, verse five. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. Husbands, do you want your father-in-law to show up unannounced? Probably not. 
he brought Moses' wife and two sons with him. And they arrived while Moses and the people were camped near the mountain of God. I love this. Jethro had sent a message to Moses saying, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to see you, Moses, with your wife and your two sons. Period. There was no, hey, we're just driving by. We'd love to see you for a little bit. The kids were asking about you. Hey, we're on vacation. Can we camp in the backyard and spend some time with you? No. This was a, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to see you, Moses, and I have your family. Period. Now, here's what I want to do. Husbands, stay with me real quick. I want to read that again, and I want you to insert your father-in-law's name right here. It'll strike a level of fear you've not felt in a while. Here we go. You ready? I, for me, this will be Dennis. I, Dennis, and my, I have a good father-in-law, but I don't want this message from him. I, Dennis, your father-in-law, Brian, am coming to see you with your wife and your two sons. Period. Nobody wants that message, man. <laughs> so you got to imagine Moses, he knows what this is about. He's like, I sent him over to his place. I know I told you I'd call when we got out of Egypt. And remember right here in verse one that Jethro had heard everything God had done, especially how the Lord rescued him from Egypt. Jethro knows, hey, you guys are out of Egypt now. Why do I still have your wife and two kids? <laughs> Come and get them, Moses. Let's go. This is why you married them, not to live at my house. And so he shows up. And so Moses knows this is the tension. He knows what's happening. Verse 7, here's how Moses responds. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and kissed him. They asked each other about their welfare and then went into Moses' tent. So I can imagine this is how it went. And guys, you know this is how it goes with your father-in-law, especially when there's tension in the room. They go out. We don't kiss necessarily, but you, maybe you bow to your father-in-law. Maybe it's not a bad idea. So you go, you, you say hi, and then it's, Jethro, Moses, how are you? Fine, you? Good. Okay, let's go in the tent. <laughs> Quiet until you get into the tent. There's no elaborating here. There's no, well, how's it going? Or, oh, let's go see the kids first. No, it's, they asked each other about their welfare, and then they went into Moses' tent. In other words, let's talk, Moses. Here we go, verse 8. Here's what they started talking with. Moses, Moses started out. Verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done. You know why he's doing this, right? Look at everything I've done before you just ream me. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships. It's not been so easy here, Jethro. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all the troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard all about the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hands of the Egyptians. So Moses starting out just says, now before we have this talk, look at what everything, look at everything God's done. The equivalent would be, man, look how hard I worked this week and let me show you how many hours I put in and check out this new product we now have and look at my sales numbers and man, we are just, we're just moving forward, going great, everything is awesome, look at all God is doing. That's what Moses says here and he's thinking, hey, that should be enough. I've laid out all my hard work. I've laid out everything that I've been doing. He should understand. Jethro, my father-in-law, should understand why I haven't called for my wife and kids yet. And I would imagine, if I'm in Moses' shoes, I would imagine he would have expected this conversation. Well, okay, that took care of it. Moses, you've done more than I thought you did. You know, I'll be heading back with your wife and kids. Not a problem. It's great seeing you. But look at what happens. Verse 13. The next day, in other words, Jethro's still there. Father-in-law hasn't left yet. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. 
They waited before him morning till evening. That's Moses' new role. He was the one that confronted Pharaoh. He's the one that led God's people out of Egypt. Now that they're in the wilderness, they don't have a leader other than Moses. So any problem, any issue, any need that an Israelite had, and this is a large nation at this point, anything anybody needed, they went to one person, Moses. So what Moses' job was now was to sit and hear the disputes, hear the issues from every single person from morning till night. Verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, Did you catch that? He was sitting here watching what his son-in-law was doing. You want your father-in-law watching over your shoulder after everything you do? No, that's what he's doing here. He hears about all that God's done through Moses. He says, that's great, Moses. Yeah, I'm just gonna stick around for a little bit, see what's going on. That's what he does. While Moses is doing his day job, Jethro is there watching and observing all that he was doing. It says, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all of this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me. And I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Moses says, because it's up to me. Nobody else here can do that. It's what God's asked me to do. It's what I am doing. I'm the leader of Israel, so it's all on me. Now pay attention to the two questions that Jethro asked here. The first one was, what are you really accomplishing here, Moses? What are you really accomplishing? The second one says, why? Why are you the one all by yourself doing this all day? Now, those are the two questions he asked. Which question does Moses answer? What are you accomplishing or why are you doing this? Let me read his response and you tell me. Moses replied, because the people come to me. Because when a dispute arises, they come to me. I'm the one who settles it. I inform the people of decrees. I give them instructions. So is Moses answering, what am I accomplishing? Or why am I doing this? What's he answering? Why? find it interesting that he doesn't answer the first question. Jethro says, what are you really accomplishing here, Moses? What, what good is all of this? Why are you doing this? Oh, I can answer. Well, because I'm the only one that can. So often we fall into Moses' spot and we don't answer what we're really accomplishing because we're just reacting to the situation. Well, everybody needs me. It's crazy at work. The the kids want to do all sorts of different things. We don't have another choice. This is the only option I have. We got to get it all done. And Jethro's saying, no, no, hang on. What are you really accomplishing? Because what Moses would want to accomplish is different than, than what he's really doing. What do, what do I want to accomplish in my personal life? I want, to accomplish, I want to have a great family. I want to have kids that know me and love me. I want to have a wife that not just continues to live with me, but respects me and honors me and loves spending time with me. I want to have a job that's fulfilling. I mean, you could go down the list, and, and maybe the problem is we've not asked ourselves that question. What do we really want to accomplish here in our family life, in our careers, in our community? You start answering that question, and answering that question, and then line it up to what we're actually doing, and we will find that it's different. Because what has truly happened here is Moses' family has been completely sidelined. His family's not in his life currently. His father-in-law had to bring his family to him. He's the only one that's leading this entire nation. He's worn out after morning till night, every day, all day, just listening to disputes. You've got a nation of Israel that's not happy because they're all waiting in line to talk to one guy. And Jethro says, 
what are you really accomplishing here? And all he can say is, well, I just don't have another choice. It's all on me. Verse 17. This is not good. Moses' father-in-law exclaimed, this is not good. Now, understand, he's not saying, Moses, you're not doing a good job. He's not, he's not critiquing his, his worthiness as a leader or his value as a leader. He's not even questioning the job that God has given him because it was a great job to lead the nation of Israel from God. How do you argue with that one? So Jethro's not saying the job is bad. He's not saying you're bad at the job. He's just saying this situation is not good. The way we're going about it is not good. Moses, it's not good that your family's not with you. It's not good that you're getting burned out from sitting, listening to disputes every day. It's not good for the nation of Israel that they only have one person to go to. Moses, can't you see? You're not accomplishing what you really want to. This is not good. But it takes Jethro to call him out on it, to travel, to bring his family and say, let me just see what's going on here because this is not good. Moses's schedule, his routine, his pattern and rhythm does not line up in this moment, does not line up with God's. He's gotten out of sync. He started to lose his alignment with God and it's costing him his family. He's losing his family. Wonder how many conversations his wife had with her dad Jethro until Jethro finally said, let's go see him. Wonder how long it took for Jethro to finally say, you know what? Let me step in. Families, we got to get this right. Because we will lose our family if we don't. We have everything that we need to have a great family. We said that last week. Great families only happen by choice. But we've got to choose to make the time with the people in our family. So here's what I want us to do. There's three things that uh, we're going to pull out of Jethro's advice. He doesn't just call Moses out and says, well, it's your problem, you fix it. No, he says, let me give you some advice here. Here's what I see. Here's what I see you doing. Here's the results that I see are happening. You're losing your family. You're getting burned out, and the nation's not where it needs to be. So here's what I see. Let me give you some advice on what needs to happen next. And I tell you, this week, read through this story. I'm going to paraphrase it for you just for time, but read through Jethro's advice. Basically, what he suggests to Moses is don't be the only one doing it. Get some, get some other people that you could lead, that you could then teach them and train them on how to listen to some of these disputes. Because Moses, you don't have to be the one that listens to everything. Why don't you have some other people do that? And maybe you only listen to the really big ones. And you let other people, and all of a sudden, you're a little bit more freed up. You can have your family time back. You're not as burned out during the day, and you've empowered other people. And the nation's happy because they're not waiting in line for you every single day. So he gives them some great advice, but I'm going to break it down this way for you. The first advice that then from Jethro to Moses, but then also to us, is decide now who will win and who will lose. Who will win and who will lose? He calls Moses out. Jethro calls Moses out and says, your family is losing. You've chosen this job over your family. And yes, it's a good job. It's a needed job. But the way that you're doing it is costing you your family. And so often, we, we don't mean to cause our family to lose, we're like, well, but think of all the things Moses said, but, but we're doing so well. Look what God's doing, and, and I'm the only one that can do it. And we say, well, I'm providing food on the table, and they have a, they have a shelter. They have a roof over their head. They've got a bed to sleep in, and, and I, I don't see how that can happen if I don't keep doing what I'm doing. But in reality, our family loses and other things win. So as a family, 
Decide right now. Have the conversation this week. When push comes to shove, who wins and who loses? If you're not married, decide this for yourself now and carry that into your marriage, into your other relationships. Decide who will win and who will lose because you can't have two winners in a lot of cases. Is the job going to win and take pride or is my family going to win? Is that promotion going to win or is my family going to win? Is it all about our kids' soccer games and this, that, and the other? And that's not a bad thing. But when push comes to shove, who wins and who loses? Let me talk to husbands just for a quick second here. We get real sidetracked on this one because we're doing it for the right reasons. Moses, please hear me, everything Moses is doing is for the right reasons. But he's working at it in a wrong way, which is costing him his family. So husbands, provide for your family, work hard for your family, do everything you can for your family. But at the end of the day, if you have to choose between your family and a job, trust that God will take care of you and you take care of your family. Don't let your family lose. When I first got into ministry, uh, good pastor, great pastor, he said something to me that I didn't quite agree with at the time, but, you know, I was like, I'm a new pastor, what do I know? And uh, he said, you know, Brian, you're going to do great things, God's going to do great, great things through you, just get ready, buckle up, because being a pastor is a 24-7 job. And I'm like, oh man, they didn't tell me that in seminary, well, okay, <laughs> here I go. A few years later into my ministry, I had another mentor, still a mentor of mine today, he said, Brian, when was the last vacation you had? When was your, did you take a day off? How's your family doing? And, and hey man, we're rolling. Look at all that we're doing in ministry. And he's like, and then he told me something that rocked my world. He said, Brian, Jesus died for the church so you don't have to. And so often we, we kill ourselves and our family for the sake of something else. And they're good things. So I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take my pastor hat off for a day. Now, does that mean I go and live wildly and not a pastor for a day? No. It means I don't answer my phone or my emails. It means I don't work on my sermons. It means I don't pour into my volunteers on that one day. What do I do is I care for my family. And what I've noticed is, sure, we all could agree with this. We could all do more of our job, right? Man, I could, if I had another 8 to 12 hours of a work day, man, I could get a lot more done. But the problem is that, that improvement on the job is overshadowed by the hurt our family feels. And quite honestly, if I spent eight more hours on a sermon, you probably wouldn't know anyway. It's not gonna be that much better. But my family's hurt is gonna go through the roof. So we have to not try to balance it. We have to have the right rhythm where we decide who wins and loses. And I'm telling you, our families need to win every single time. Every single time. Second thing Jethro was getting across to Moses, work smarter, not harder. Work smarter, not harder. We've heard that before. But apply it to not just job, but our family schedules. So often we're all sorts of different places all the time. It's like, hey, time out. Could we make this a little bit more efficient? Could we get a little bit more in sync with everybody's schedules? Let's make this work and let's figure out the right way to do it. Jethro says, the job is not the problem. How you're doing it is the problem. So why don't you get some other people, get them on board, and, and you get to take a step back and empower others to lead. They started to get a plan going. He started to fill out his organization. So as a family, work, harder, not, work smarter, not harder, and get a plan together. What does it look like for our family to work actually together? How can we help each other out and get all of this stuff done so that we can continue to still honor God's fourth commandment and still have a Sabbath day that is set apart? Yes, that means that we, if we honor the, the fourth commandment, it means that we have six days instead of seven. So we have to be a lot smarter about how we use our time. 
but God gives us the opportunities to do it. Third one, work hard and work together, rest well and rest together. If you had a a weekend where after the weekend you go to work on Monday and you say, I need a weekend for my weekend, that wasn't a real weekend. (laughs) That That wasn't a Sabbath. If you need to rest from the day of rest, then that's not very restful. And often what we find ourselves doing is we pack our schedules so jammed packed that the day of rest is just another day of doing different things. Now, God said, you have six days to get your ordinary stuff done. You have one day to just slow down and rest as a family. Work hard and work hard together. Pull everybody in. That's what a family does, a unit. You work together. You're a team. But you also rest well and you rest together. One of the greatest things I enjoy doing with my family, especially with Becky, is we plan our vacations. Sometimes we plan vacations that we know we'll never go on, but it's just fun to plan for them. Start planning those. As soon as we get back from a vacation, guess what we do the next day? We plan for our next one. Plan for for ways and times to rest and rest well. Understand, and please don't mishear me, the fourth commandment is not a a, a work Monday. It only applies to those that work Monday to Friday, nine to five. Many of your schedules don't fit into that schedule. That's okay. God doesn't care which day of the week it is. He says, well, you have six days and then pick one. You need a day to rest. However that works out, and many of you have different swing shifts where, man, I'm working 48 hours straight, and then I'm off some, and then this, and then you've got to figure out what's the rhythm, but does it line up with this rhythm, God's rhythm and God's pattern? Decide now who will win, who will lose. Work smarter, not harder. Work hard and work hard together. Rest well and rest well together. We have everything that we need. We have all the instructions. We need the time. We need the people. Last thing I want you to see, the very end of this account, Jethro sees Moses' problem. He calls him out on it. Moses, this is not good. He gives them some solutions, gives them some advice. Here's how you can restructure to make your family win and the organization win and you personally not be so burned out. Gave them some advice. Here's the very, very last part. Exodus 18, verse 27. Soon after this, this meaning Moses actually put it into play. He listened to Jethro and he actually applied it. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law who returned to his own land. What's missing in that that passage? His family. The first part says Jethro came to see Moses and he brought with him his wife and his two sons. By the very end, Jethro headed back home. Moses' family won. Moses' family got to be with him because they figured out how to make this work. They figured out how to have the right rhythms and the right patterns. Whatever your family context is, whatever your family dynamic is, I would ask the question, what are you really accomplishing? The time that you spend, the places you go, the things that you do, what is it really accomplishing? And is it what you want to have accomplished at the end of the day? Do you see your kids? Do you see your spouse? Are you moving in the right direction, in the same direction as a family? If not, here's why. And we're all scattered doing different things. We're never together. And God says, man, you need a day dedicated and holy to God, but also to each other. So decide who's going to win and lose so that when you get in that situation, you're not trying to just react. Work smarter, not harder. Work together. Work hard together, but also rest well together. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for the patterns that you have given us as an example, the rhythms that you've 
you've shown us the right way to do it. And God, we know we're not perfect, and we know that uh, perfect families are not what we're going to be able to obtain. But God, you give us everything we need for a great family. So I would pray for each and every one of us, regardless of the family dynamic and context, that we would, we would hold tight to this fourth commandment, to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And to not run so hard that we burn ourselves out, to run so hard that we lose our family, to run so hard that we just, we don't even know why we're running anymore. So God, may, may you prompt us and encourage us and challenge us, show us, open our eyes, what needs to change, what needs to be tweaked in our life so that our family wins, so that we win, so that you win. God, help us to obey the fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath day holy. In Jesus' name, amen.